a failure is not an option. That that's sort of my attitude. Um, I'm going to make this work despite that narrative, which is you can't make a living as an artist. What's your sole purpose? It's what you came here to accomplish. It's also who you're meant to become so that you can make an impact by being yourself. We're all here to unlock our potential and create positive change in the world. Everything starts with you. One is not born into their purpose. One steps into their purpose. Were you born to do it? Let's find out together. Welcome to another episode of Born to Do It. Today we're going to be talking about creativity and spirituality and I'm really excited to have Jennifer Hockyard on the podcast. She's a very talented illustrator. You're going to see some of her artwork in this call. So welcome Jennifer. Great Hi. to have you. Thanks for having me. <laughs> what does creativity mean to you? When did you discover it? Do you remember that first moment you're like, yes, creativity is me. Yeah, actually. And, and I, I'm always one who often says, oh, I don't remember specific moments in my childhood or dates or anything like that. But one memory that I do have very specifically was at some point, I think probably in primary school, um, I, I had this thought of like, I don't want to go to school. I just want to draw pictures all day. <laughs> and certainly my mum would say that I was drawing pictures all day and drawing pictures all over the walls. And um yeah, just just always drawing. There's certainly artists on both sides of my family. That there's a painter behind me. That's my granddad's work. Very um, creatively minded family. So so very open in that way. So I think I ob- was obsessively drawing horses. That was my thing when I was a kid. Right. I, I love horses. So I decided to try and draw the most difficult thing you can draw <laughs> as an artist, which is a horse. Um, and I would obsessively draw them and get very frustrated you know I think young artists generally get very frustrated because they can't draw it the way they see it you know yeah I mean that's one of the things about creativity is you deal with a little bit of perfectionism that's something (laughs) a lot (laughs) I think that's something because a lot of our identity and essence is connected to that creativity because we're channelers we're channeling that creativity so we want to make sure that we, we portray ourselves, and I think this is where the perfectionism comes into the picture. We want to make sure that our essence is embedded into that image, whether it's a horse or, you know, something else. Absolutely, and I think that was pervasive throughout my, certainly my childhood. I was always drawing, always, uh, I did a bit of portraiture. I think a lot of young artists kind of get a bit of a start into professionalism because, mm-hmm. you know, if they've kept it up, their family might say, oh, well, will you draw my cat or will you draw my daughter or whatever so portraiture was was sort of my step into a a kind of more professional doing it for money kind of thing so was it encouraged from your family because you mentioned that your grandfather was an artist was it something that was kind of like you know you continuing that creative trail or was it you being I'm gonna I'm gonna make my own trail a bit of both. Certainly encouraged as a hobby, you know, absolutely. There was no restrictions there. My mum was very pragmatic and uh, she, you know, my two great loves were horse riding and, and art. And she was like, well, you can't make a living with either with either, either of those. And certainly in, in that time, it wasn't easy to do that. You know, the world wasn't the way it is now in regards to creativity. I truly believe that right now we're in a creative race, renaissance. And there is so much available for 
people who want to be creative for a living. It's it's amazing. But certainly at that time, the, the awareness that we had in that area that we were living in was very much, well, an artist is your gallery artist, right? And so that's very kind of who you know and completely different paradigm to what I'm now in. Yeah, and now we have all these spaces where we can share that art more openly. Um, but then comes into the picture uh, this comparison and the competition and people kind of stealing your ideas and adopting your ideas. So in some ways, the pressure to have your own unique signature is even more um, heightened, um, which probably doesn't work well for the perfectionism. but I suppose it feels something in you, like that primal desire to make it that inspires you to give it your best shot. Absolutely. I think art, if if you are an artist, and it's the one thing that I would say in regards to whether you're born to do it or not, mm-hmm. it is that it's that internal drive that is the key. I don't I've I've always said to people when people say to me, Oh, you're talented or, or you know, it's a gift from whatever, I go, no, no. I've been working at this for 30 odd years yes. and you're not seeing the, the, the banging my head against the desk and all that kind of stuff and all the failures. What, what is sort of inborn, I would say, is that drive to be like, even though the thing that I'm creating is as far as I'm concerned, crap as a, as a learner, I'm going to keep showing up. So it's the stubbornness that I truly believe is the thing that is is inborn with any passion that you you choose to pursue, whether it's a you know musician or just becoming good at anything really. Public speaking, you know, it's that drive. That's the, the that's the driving force. It's not that I was born as an artist mm-hmm. with this God given gift. No way. <laughs> I can show you all my sketches from when I was a kid, and they were not masterpieces yeah I think everyone has access to creativity but not everyone chooses to develop it because for some people it just feels more right it feels more aligned with what they want to achieve in life and creativity is just one way to express yourself there are so many brilliant logical people that are using their analytical skills and they've just they keep researching they keep harnessing that power of the analytical mind whereas for the creative people it's about showing up and advancing those skills but it takes a lot of hard work and if you want to commit to the creative path whether you're an illustrator or a writer you have to keep showing up daily even if it's not your finest work it's that habit that consistency which takes me to the next question I suppose is where is creativity in life you know we tend to think of schools as very creative places for children where children can develop their own kind of creative ideas but Looking into the curriculum, that's not always the case. And the curriculum is quite outdated. And then we look into university and it's once again, this idea of preparing the young minds to go into the workforce. It's not so much encouraging them to think about their own ideas and their best-selling books or their, you know, the paintings that they're going to show in galleries. And then the workforce naturally completely kind of blocks that creative expression. So... What have you seen in your experience um, in terms of your community, but even so around the world? Where is creativity in life? And is there a way to boost creativity? Because it it helps us live happier, I'd say. Yeah, I think a lot of people have a creativity that was snubbed at a very early age, you know, because teachers aren't necessarily given the right tools to learn about creativity or looking at it from an old fashioned standpoint. And still very much with that attitude of, 
you know, if you're creative, you're going to be a starving artist, which is a trope mm-hmm. that I just would love to blow apart completely, right? We're all innately creative, you know, as, as youngsters at some point, early six-year-old, four-year-old, we are in our imaginations playing, doodling. We have no thought on whether it's perfect or not, or whether you're going to sell it or anything like that. You're just spewing creativity, which is wonderful. And then at some point, someone says to you, that's really lovely. Maybe you'll be an artist for your, you know, you could be an artist. Or they say, well, that's crap. And you'll never make it as an artist because it's really hard anyway, and you'll be starving for the rest of your life. And, the, and so the person's put into a fearful state. And, and that happens very, very young. And, yeah. and it's happening today, you know. So I that's something I feel very passionate about. And certainly in my experience meeting people, I used to have an open studio. They would have said, in a, inevitably, they would say, I can't even draw a stick man, would, would be something that would come out again and again and again. And they would say, Someone told me, a teacher told me at a young age that I was crap. And they stopped. You know, that was that. So someone they respected told them they were awful. And so they stopped being creative. And I think that is a huge loss. And what certainly what we see in the world today is a reflection of a world that only wants to talk about the logical, analytical, uh, mathematical, and doesn't really want to talk about the other side of our brains, the other side of our abilities that is creatively based ability to, to work in the imagination and access this uh, creative force that frankly, when you are a creative person, you're like, where the heck is this coming from? Yeah. You know, because it does very much feel like it's coming through you. I feel very passionately about that, that this, this is something that has been tamped down, um, whether on purpose or without purpose. And I do honestly believe that people can reignite their creativity at any age, you know, and, and there's a lot of talk, because I used to work in the design in- industry, there's a lot of talk about creative thinking, and, and there was a bit of a change sort of in the last five, ten years of people going, oh, we need to talk about how to be a creative thinker, but I do think it needs to go all the way back to that, those yeah. early stages, mm-hmm. when we, you know, we allow young children to be imaginative at some point. And when they're in school, we say, no, no, you're not allowed to play in your imagination anymore. You're not allowed imaginary friends. You're not allowed to doodle anymore. And it goes on and on and on. We try to take people's attention towards the economy and being very pragmatic and thinking about the science of it all. We start to think with these um, facts and the data is just very logical. And that's great. It's helping us organize the data, but it's not allowing us to have those creative breakthroughs because the right side of the brain is not engaged as much and by definition using the right side is using your intuition so you don't know where the answer is going to come from you don't know what idea is going to come to the surface but you're allowing that space and if you're just restricted to the left side it's it's almost like a wall around you and it's impenetrable there's there's nothing from outside or inside it's just you're stuck within that loop of let's work with the data I am a lover of science, uh, absolutely. I, I absolutely love getting into the nitty-gritty of things and exploring things. But that curiosity goes, it's not just science, the curiosity mm-hmm. is everything, right? And um, I think that has been a big part of where I've been heading and where, where I am heading is that very I'm very open-minded, perhaps even on the naive side of things, right? But I will consider any anything and, and to, into my internal reckoning and, and judgment. 
I think there's, I, I long for the day when uh, science and spirituality mm -hmm. start talking mm -hmm. to each other um, because there's some amazing stuff happening, you know, and if, if, if the scientists would open their minds a little bit to that, to that intuition, which you can't quantify, you simply can't yep. quantify it. Yep. There's no data adding to it. You can't, we don't have the technology to be sensitive enough necessarily to the things that are going on. So um, it, it's that softening of the attitude of, of right and wrong and what I know and, and this is the data and all this kind of stuff. And actually saying, well, you know what, some of the greatest uh, inventions that have ever occurred and the greatest um, moments that uh, thought shifts that have occurred have come from moments where people have just opened up and had a had a lightning bolt moment and that's not quantifi quantifiable it's not quantifiable no and the people that change the world the disruptors of the industry they come up with the next big ideas because they're allowing more space for that creative side to to lead them to what they need to create and invent and i recently did a video around the some of the most famous billionaires and they all had one marker in their chart uh, which was creativity it wasn't leadership it wasn't the logical it was creativity and i think that plays a role in changing the world and actually making money from it i know we, we care about money we care about stability that's natural there's this notion that creativity doesn't lead to stability and i think when we're stable enough within ourselves to allow ourselves to explore creativity that's when the magic happens um obviously True spirituality does not deny science and the logic, but I think when you have that inner balance, you're able to channel it. And I think your art just demonstrates that. How did you blend creativity and spirituality? How did you go through your own kind of spiritual awakening? It happened very gradually. Uh, I've always had uh, an interest in spirituality, been exploring spiritual materials. I think one of the first books that I read as a teen um, that really opened the door for me was uh, Neil Donald Walsh's Conversations with God. And that, I read that and was like, whoa, it just blew the doors open, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I, I didn't come from a, from a particularly religious background, but certainly that was there in our schooling and whatnot and traditions. But that the material in that book certainly really resonated with me and that uh, brought about the curiosity. It's interesting now that I read so much channeled material and I channel myself and the very first book that blew the doors open was was channeled basically. <laughs> so in regards to my artwork, I suppose gradually I went from, you know, drawing things in the world, uh, animals and portraiture, which I loved. I started to draw things that had more of an emotional impact on me. So that's, I guess, started to happen within college. I was exploring some concepts environmental concepts I suppose I'm very interested in and passionate about the environment so that kind of started there and then I started to work on um, animal totems just exploring mm -hmm. different animals and what they mean to people and the connections they have with people because I have a lot of animals in my life but I was always seeking a meaning behind my work I got to a point where I, I just was looking for a meaning and thinking well what's the use of me just doing pretty pictures in a world that's going crazy, you know, and this was 10 years ago, I was feeling like, uh, so even more now, it feels even more so. So I was, I was searching for that meaning. And, and I think at some point I put it out there that I would love, you know, had an interest in Oracle decks and tarot card decks. 
have had amazing tarot card readings and it's a wonderful way to collect artwork right as an artist I absolutely love other people's art absolutely. Uh, so I think I put it out there I'd love to work on an angel deck and I honestly thought no one's going to pay me to do this you know, who who on earth will pay me to do this? So uh, despite this, I thought, well, I'd better get good at painting angels because mm-hmm. if I want to do the thing, I better start showing up and doing it. So I started to do it, painting digitally, which is my main craft nowadays, and uh, started to put it on my online shop. And I did a few sort of well-being fairs with my artwork and people started telling me stuff about my own artwork that they couldn't have known because naturally there were a lot of psychics and whatnot at these events. That sort of made me more curious about what was happening. And then of course, uh, Kyle Gray simply dropped into my inbox. He emailed me and said, do you fancy working on an angel deck together? I've seen your artwork on Etsy. So I, I was incredibly lucky to be found in that way. I wasn't sort of bashing on the doors of a publisher or anything, but I had gone through, you know, personally I'd gone through a big, um, transformation as well like I'd I'd lost a couple of very close family members to cancer which was extremely traumatic to go through and it, it made me realize that I needed to be doing the thing I loved rather than what I thought I should be doing so that involved moving countries I was in Canada at the time it, it involved moving back to my homeland being closer to family and literally taking that leap of faith and going well, I don't know what I'm going to do, but <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> I'll show up and follow the thread. It was very much like just following the thread. I, I tried everything. I've I've done all kinds of work. I was very uh, and continue to be very sort of uh, failure is not an option. That that's sort of my attitude. Um, I'm going to make this work despite that narrative, which is you can't make a living as an artist. That's a limiting belief that has been conditioned into your programming. So, you know, once you approve that belief, well, look at this, there's more space for new beliefs to be built. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So once I, yeah, once I got through that, I I worked on the Angel Guide Oracle deck. There was, I had a lot of imposter syndrome stuff going on throughout that whole deck. It's very um, wonderful to work on, but difficult, you know, for me to get untangle all of that. Yes. And then we worked on a second deck together and, after that first deck, I obviously gained confidence and was encouraged to do one-to-one artworks for people. Uh, and that was really when it all started to take off. I started to do basically channeled artworks of people's angels or guides. And as I started to do that, I started to get messages through or, or symbols through that I couldn't have known. And so the, the artwork on the right of the screen here is, is one of the first ones that I ever did. It's really special that you picked that one. <laughs> Um, because a lady had a near-death experience and I was incredibly intimidated to be asked to to, um, paint this angel that she knew uh, uh, very deeply. She described him very clearly. And I just thought, oh, gosh, this is going to be a responsibility. It's a huge responsibility. And I take that very seriously. But thankfully, um, he came through exactly as he he wanted to. But that's, that's the beauty of when you're connected to your higher self, when you're channeling these ideas, they're not coming from you, the human, they're coming from your connection to your consciousness. So you're able to channel images that you have not seen personally, images that are being given to you. And that's the power of kind of the spiritual artwork that you see the image, but it's not a 3D image. There's so much depth to it because you can, your consciousness recognizes that depth, even if you're just, you know, the human 
looking at it, but the connection that is established through engaging with the spiritual art is, is just next level. It just elevates your own consciousness, just being in the presence of that, because we leave our energetic imprint in everything that we do. And the more we ascend as the artist behind the artwork, whatever it is, whether it's um, visual art, whether it's written art, our energetic imprint is on that. And when somebody engages with it, they engage with our energy that is embedded with it, which is a very beautiful way to connect with people, even if we're not there physically, because our, our energy travels and we're exchanging energy all the time. And especially when we're creating from that space of the um, inner light, um, as I like to call it, the spiritual art is channeling the inner light. We're able to share that inner light with other people around the world. The fear of judgment was that ever something that kind of stopped you or slowed you down? Oh, absolutely. I think it's a big part of that. It was connected to the imposter syndrome thing. Certainly with the Angel Guide Oracle, it was my. It was a huge project for me. It was the first time I was being published ever. You know, it was a huge leap. Um, and I was very aware that, oh my gosh, hundreds of thousands of people in the world are going to see my work. And what if I don't get all the right number of fingers? Or what if I make some anatomical error? That was part of the, you know, the fear. But the, the fear of judgment was very much around like, uh, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and, and it's the same with the uh, the one-to-one the -one, uh, commissions that I've done. Thankfully, I've, I've done hundreds now. And I think I've eventually got to the point where I feel like, although a lot of the time I still... Mm -hmm don't know what I'm doing in the sense that I'm now showing up as an artist with no creative plan, you know, no sketching, no rough concepts, you know, so as a trained graphic designer, that is like, what are you doing? Um, so, so I'm literally asking whoever to show up and I have to then be able to accurately represent what they're showing me. And they often set the bar pretty high nowadays where I kind of go, how am I supposed to well, I, I think you've said the bar pretty high because this art is amazing. Yeah. Uh, but as you say, there's there's dimensions that they're giving me that I have to represent in a flat thing, right? As well as emotions. There are emotions coming yes. through as well that, that somehow have to be con conveyed. And thankfully it works. But definitely I think a lot of people who are doing the kind of work that we do have that fear of judgment. Mm -hmm. uh, literally from that space of, am I going to get burned at the stake? You know? <laughs> it's it's in the consciousness it's We've in the consciousness class trauma yes yeah i mean I, I hate to say it but the schools i've got a school right behind me primary school that still teaches about witchcraft and how witches should be avoided and i'm thinking maybe you don't want to know who's living right next door to okay, you so right we have schools that don't teach creativity but they're educating us to hate on witches yeah <laughs> and, and and intuition and all that kind of stuff which which is um I'm not going to say scary. I think it's sad. It's very limited. But I'm very fortunate, as I was saying to you when we, we first were chatting earlier, I'm very fortunate to have a, a, a friend group and a support group, for, whether it's here physically or, or online, yeah. who are incredibly supportive, and a family as well that are very supportive. It, that helps me get through it. If I didn't have that support, and I know a lot of other people doing our kind of work don't have that support, it would be a lot more challenging. You know, if I had someone in my day-to-day -day life that was constantly going, this is wrong, this is witchcraft, or this, you're, this, how dare you, you know. To me, all creative people are connected to source. And all, all creative people are naturally spiritual people, even if they don't channel from that 
place just yet because the connection is open essentially whereas with with the logical mind it's it's working with the data that's in front of you whereas with the creative mind it's opening that connection for data to come to you there's a there's a difference in the levels of consciousness and what we refer to as you know which is i think it's sometimes the lower level of frequency where people use their words or use their actions to limit somebody else's free will this is where witchcraft is bad because essentially we're here to be our own individual human beings and find our own place in the world and use our free will every single day so when somebody tries to suppress that free will that is an example of somebody who's using their own free will to to go against other people mm -hmm. and when it comes to the spiritual artist figure in society i think that's someone that's connecting creating from a place where they helping you connect to your free will even more to allow you to expand your own world but what does it mean to you to be a spiritual artist if you had to kind of sum it up in in one sentence i think it's a case of allowing through what is there to come through it it, it is literally being that channel you know and a lot of artists get into the zone they get into that creative space and they are just completely consumed by it there's no thoughts outside of it they often don't eat or drink we all know of this like we people have talked about this sort of phase that artists get through go through creative flow state that's basically what it is i think perhaps we'll come to a point where the spiritual label isn't needed because because it's just accepted that there is something coming through um elizabeth gilbert did a wonderful ted talk on the idea of the uh, she talked about the gin the concept of the gin and how that was at the time there was accepted that the creative process was something that was outside of us you know and then it came through us but it there was less pressure on you know i must be the the one who brings the information forward and i think the more you acknowledge that i'm just open to whatever comes through and i'll endeavor to capture it as much as possible that's that's what it's about for me to to just be as clear a channel as possible and that's certainly what i ask when i connect to just be as clear as possible and but there's challenges with that right mm -hmm. things will come through that i'm like are you what is this or am i sure <laughs> or you know um if the client doesn't resonate with it at first like, then i'm feeling challenged because i you know i'm, I'm not sure either you're um, the messenger you're i'm the just the messenger right so so it is an interesting place to be in um, I think it's, it can be challenging from both sides, but I think for me, I've, I've certainly learned in this past year or so to really stick to that role of, I am going to be as clear as I can be. And if I start getting in the way of it, it's game over. I, you know, I can't start editing what's coming through. I've got to just let it all allow it. Yeah. Allow it to come through. And I, I think now that I'm looking at it, channeling the inner light, that is one of the things that kind of prevents us, I think sometimes from accepting spirituality is that we try to label the dark as bad all dark bad and all light is good and we we keep adding that separation even within the spiritual community when in fact the dark and the light are just part of the same duality the yin and yang the same way the left and right brain help us be more balanced if the the art if you know the experiences help us become better human beings and leave with that from that space of channeling our own inner light then we can learn from both the light and the dark. We need to be open to learning. As you said, creativity and curiosity, they come hand in hand. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think 
you know, speaking to your point about the, the light and the dark, it seems to me that a lot of people who, like yourself and myself, who are working in the space that we're working in, have gone through a really tough time at some point. Mm-hmm. And we could call it a dark night of the soul, you know. So although often I don't reflect that in my artwork, you know, I love to create the colors and the light. That's what I really enjoy. Yeah. I had a piece of artwork sitting on my computer that was an exploration of the dark night of the soul. And I thought, oh, no one's going to like this. This isn't my my kind of thing. When I finally put it out there, everyone loved it because it was actually showing that aspect of, you know, that the connection between light and dark. There is a lot of sort of spiritual light washing, I suppose. <laughs> Yeah, light is good, dark is yeah. bad. Yeah. The dark night of the soul is the purification process. And it is it is hard. It is difficult. If it was easy, we would have a very enlightened world because everyone would do the work. But it is work for you to not submit to the doubt, for you not to submit to the limitations, to the triggers, to the projections, because you will be tested. But if you want to, you know grow because i believe earth is a school for our souls and the dark night of the soul is kind of one of the final tests before you graduate from the previous level to the next level and it's it's not that you graduate one time and that's it no it's a continuous learning until your last breath because you always have something to advance something to research yeah but the more you operate from that space where you're not adding more pain into the world then that means you've learned your lessons during the the dark night of the soul, during the dark periods. Because these are the periods that test our integrity, our commitment, our fate. And in some cases, they strengthen it, and we come out stronger and lighter from it. And other people just get more discouraged, I'd say. But they go back to the classroom (laughs) and listen. Exactly. It's uh, it's an interesting journey as as completely and I think that's uh, the, the takeaway is being the openness and having the curiosity and the and the non-judgment on yourself you know I, I've been going through a bit of a, a, a learning thing this past few months physical issues lots of pain feeling very disconnected from my intuition but I've got to the point now where I, I'm I don't pass judgment on that I'm gonna just allow and let it flow through and and not worry and work with my body and it's it's started to shift you know and a few years ago I would have really been challenged by that and that shows your growth that shows the spiritual growth because mm-hmm. we're, we're we're learning how to be more present which is the most I think that's the biggest joke we we spend years rushing to get to these big milestones and we realize actually the biggest milestone is you being present every single day and making yeah. sure that you're doing the best that you can because that's what life is all about. The progress happens in the present moment. Um, Absolutely. I've never believed in a five-year plan and, you know, I must achieve this by this date and blah, blah, blah. I, I've really, certainly on this journey, my huge takeaway is that if you put the intention out there, such as the, you know, I want to work on an angel deck and then realizing, having the self-reflection to go, well, I better get good at what, I better do the thing then, better start doing the work. And then following the next meaningful thread, you know, going to the well-being fairs, listening to what people are saying about my work. Oh, someone's asked me to do this, being brave enough to say yes, and then doing all of that. And it's, 
I couldn't plan that. I couldn't put that into a calendar and a diary and say, I must have that by that day. You know, you can, you can only act in alignment with that desired reality. And yes. it's kind of like, this is the manifesting process, I'd say. You putting the actions daily in alignment. Yeah, and being open and going, yeah. is that, that feels right. Okay, mm-hmm. I'll follow that. Yeah, Even if it does scare me. <laughs> yeah, well, that's part of the growth process. But I think this is the beauty of unlocking your purpose and looking into your native word chart, especially if we were to normalize that in society from an earlier age, that people can understand a little bit more about who they are and their strengths and kind of understand why they're attracted to certain areas of life a little bit more, because it can be quite confusing when you find yourself being attracted to uh, psychology and all of a sudden you're interested around the subconscious mind. You don't know what's going on. Is this normal? And suddenly you find a marker for that in your needs of which I was like, ah, okay. So I'm here to do that. I'm here to understand more about this. I think we need to um, encourage re-education of all of those people who have gone through the education system Mm -hmm. and allow them to acknowledge that something in their star chart might be uh, their, you know, because we have a tendency to think that, oh, I'm going to be a doctor and I'll be a doctor for the rest of my life. That's the attitude of the education system, right? Rather than saying, well, five years you might be doing a doctor, five years after that you might be into holistic therapies, five years after that you might take a sabbatical, and all of it is fine. But the current setup is you'll be something for the rest of your life. And if you're not, you failed. And then you have a midlife crisis. And we already know your motto, failure is not an option. So yeah. yeah. And this takes us to your artwork and the decks that you have created. How did you connect with these images before they kind of make it into the physical world? Creating a 44-card deck is is a creative marathon, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'm on a deadline. I obviously have a client, client to please, a publisher to please. So it's a different space than when I'm working with a one-on-one client. Um, so with a one-on-one client, I would meet them, get to know them, hear about their journey, whatever they want to share. And I would then go away and have usually a sort of half an hour, 45-minute meditation session where I'm asking to connect with whatever is coming through. I don't have time to do that with a, with a, a deck. I really don't. So um, it's very much a case of kind of combining that um, designer head um, in the sense of making sure the deck makes sense, it's aesthetically on, on the right track and what we want to do, and then also com- um, going in with that intuitive side as well. And working with Kyle too. Like Kyle often has a very clear vision of what he would like to see and, and thankfully we are very connected like he can say a few words and I'm like I've got I've got the image in my head uh, it's there uh, and he's very happy with it when it comes back to him uh, that was certainly the case with the gateway of light deck um, uh, it was very very uh, nebulous we didn't necessarily know where we were going a lot of the time but it just came through really beautifully and then the Divine Masters was much more like the Angel Guide deck, where it's very portrait-based. It follows a certain um, aesthetic and theme, uh, and finding the right faces. We've all, we always try and do um, a very inclusive deck that you know, because a lot of angel decks and such are very white and blonde. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, just as an artist, that's wonderful to explore all the different face shapes and ethnicities and colors 
um, as well as, uh, as you see on the cover of Divine Masses, you know, it's sort of an alien type thing. Um, so that was a, that was putting me out of my comfort zone. I wasn't used to sort of connecting with alien energy. And I had a lot of like that learned, you know, aliens are scary thing. <laughs> there was someone, there's always learning for me in a deck. You know, I, I can literally go through a deck and go, you know, that was a difficult point and this was a high point. And I kind of get run through the mill with, with decks every time. Uh, but it was lovely to learn about these uh, ascended masters. Um, whether they're angelic like Archangel Michael and Faith or um, Isis who is in the background of the second one back there Kuan Yin uh, Guru Ramdas at the back a lot of these I maybe heard of but didn't know much about yeah. so ha learning about those masters and endeavoring to bring through a unique interpretation of them you know I, I've painted Archangel Michael many times so it's really interesting to see you know, feel very familiar with the energy uh, and then and then bring it into a more earthly density <laughs> into the artwork. Yeah. Yeah. It is quite interesting working with these different energies as well, because you actually tap into the energies of the archangel or the, the leader, the ancient leader, and you start to operate from that kind of diving back into your own consciousness to trace back your own connection, what you've experienced personally within your own research. Is it different collaborating with another spiritual artist like Kyle? Or um, how does it change from when you're creating on your own, as in just you and your own energy? And how what was the experience creating with someone who's also kind of spiritually advanced or spiritually here to teach others? I'm very lucky that both Kyle and Hay House are wonderful clients to work with. I've, I've worked with all kinds of clients over the years, and they are very... They just let, they get out of the way. They let the artists do what they're here to do, which is really lovely. They give me a lot of creative free reign and they trust in my abilities, which, which again, that feeds back to me. I end up trusting my abilities more. Um, but of course, if I'm stuck and I'm really not sure how this is supposed to feel, because often, you know, Kyle will have a sense of how is this card supposed to feel? The Angel Guide Oracle deck is an is an example of that because we're not naming the angels, although some of them do have associations with uh, archangels and such. We're not naming them, so it's more about what is the feeling that someone needs to get from this card. Do they need to feel embraced, or or the example, uh, the, the sort of front card behind the box there is one where you you need to lay down your sword, you know, and let the fight go. Having a team member who is on the same path as you and, and thinking about the same kind of things is, is really great because it can, it is a big project. You know, it's, it's a big mountain to uh, get to the top of. Again, that responsibility, I feel that, you know, someone will then have that deck and, and have a lot of, hopefully, a lot of really meaningful readings from it. So it's important to me that, we get that right. Yes, it's a much more, it's a different process from my personal work. I, I don't have that much time for personal work anymore, sadly. Um, but when I do get a hit, so to speak, or a tap on the shoulder, it's very quick with my personal work. It'll come through very, very quickly, uh, as far as I'm concerned as an artist. The physical time it takes is not very long, um, which I'm always sort of got, going, oh, are we done already? But maybe that's because I literally am saying, I don't have time. <laughs> <laughs> On the previous slide, you had the Angel of Peace that was uh, channeled when, when the um, war broke out in the Ukraine. 
So there's often something that's happened. The most recent one was um, the sycamore gap tree was cut down literally the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I had a strong association with that. It really caught, you know, caught me, uh, made me speechless when I read the news about it. Uh, but it fires me up. That's what makes me go, I have to create something around this. Um, you know, so I, I I then connect with the energy of that tree and I received a beautiful message and artwork and it came through very quickly. So it's lovely in the sense that there's no one, no one to please. There's no client to worry about. It's just me creatively free freewheeling or connecting to something that's important to me. It's, that's usually what it is nowadays. It's something that I feel very passionate about that, or, or an event happens and I'm just like, oh, I need to process this. Yeah. Um, well, all spiritual beings, we're all spiritual beings, essentially, and every living thing has its own energetic frequency. So when we are connected to ourselves, when we're connected to other fellow human beings, we're also connected to Mother Nature, we're also connected to the animals around us. And um, there's a um, very beautiful kind of research that shows that the stones around us, they have frequencies as well. So as humans, we we can feel the energy of everything that is alive around us. And maybe the stones don't have the highest um, frequency, but we can still tap into that frequency and channel some of that energy. It's very interesting that when something big happens in the world that attacks nature, we can feel the pain of the nature or we can feel the destruction, maybe not so much the pain, but we can feel the destruction directly because we're connected to the energetic grit of everything that is alive. Is there a specific link that you have to each of the um, oracle decks that kind of you would recommend to people going through different stages of their spiritual journey yeah yeah absolutely so the angel guide is very much created as a, a beginner deck so obviously if you're advanced it's great as well but if you're new to oracle decks it's a really nice start um you know it's a very gentle deck people always say to me how kind of loved they feel by it which is really wonderful really nice sort of starter deck you know, if you're thinking about gifting it to someone who hasn't got a deck, that might be a nice one to start with. Um, the Gateway of Light, I always sort of say, is a bit more advanced. You know, it's it's really quite cosmic. There's a lot of layers and energy in it. So it's about, you know, chakras, portals, energetic gateways, uh, which are concepts that, you know, as a beginner, you might not understand or, or resonate with. But I would always say, you know, if the artwork is speaking to you and you love the artwork, then go with that. Because yeah. it will come through regardless. And then the Divine Masters is a nice sort of blend of of those two, really. It's about getting to know the, these Ascended Masters that you might have considered are in a box, you know, like a religious box. Mm-hmm. And you might not have thought of them in that way. But I think, you know, to look at the, these people that have gone before us and have brought through this knowledge Rumi is in the deck and and I had heard so much about Rumi but hadn't really read his work oddly you know hadn't really looked at who he he was and where he came from and when he was here and when you read his works and you think oh my gosh this person was around in medieval times I think and his prose is so profound and his thinking is so like now I think that is a great way of of uncovering that uh, heritage you know the ancestral knowledge yeah ancestral knowledge you know you mentioned that there's a lot of kind of alien energy sometimes when you tap into some of the masters maybe not archangels but masters do you see a future where 
these kind of digs are brought into the education system, brought to children, because this is working with the energy. This is energy work being brought down to the level of education. And it's, I think that's why it seems alien. But when you think about what's actually in these textbooks that children are reading, it's very three-dimensional. It's just the same people. And often there isn't representation that is inclusive. Yeah. It's very whitewashed in some ways. I think, uh, you know, decks, no matter what deck you use, are basically teaching you to tune into your intuition and say to the universe or whatever, here's my problem. Help me see it from a different angle. It's not going to pick what clothes you put on today. It's not going to tell you what to say to someone. But if you come to it with the right question or intention, you're going to get something back. And, it, you know, I've, I have tarot decks, specifically tarot decks. Oracle decks tend to be a bit kinder, I find. But tarot decks tend to be very on the nose. Yeah. And, like, this is the thing. And it's that sort of shadow work thing that you need to look at. A lot of people struggle with that. Actually, you know, as we do when someone points out a fault in you and you're like, oh, no, I'm not. That's not me. <laughs> That's not me. And you have that reaction. But I think, you know, this is what work like this does, is it, it does tune you into your intuition a bit more and make you step back and go, hmm, actually, I do do that. Or actually, I do need to look at that. It's a moment of self-reflection. Yeah, Gosh, I, I mean, to see that in the education system, wow, how amazing it would be for people to feel like it was okay to ask something outside of themselves, Yeah. Um, what is going on? If I've got something going on that I cannot necessarily understand or rationalize, mm -hmm. I'll pull out a deck and go, what, what is happening, you know? Is that guidance? Um, yeah, it just gives me an, a fresh perspective. At the very basis, it would be lovely to allow children to keep their imaginations for longer, you know, into adulthood. I, You know, I'd love for people to, of all ages, to be able to return to an intuition connection, they're, they're playing in the imagination, because the imagination is where all this stuff is coming from. Acknowledging something, their, their star charts, for example, and having that just curiosity and going, you know, whether it's right or wrong, I'm looking at a star chart and going, well, that is exactly what I'm doing. So <laughs> how was that? 100%. What was the quote from uh, Kierkegaard? Life can only be understood backwards, but we must live it forward. Well, what if we could understand life going forward? That's, that's the argument I'm trying to make here. But one is not born to their purpose, one steps into their purpose. And your story shows that it's that commitment that you decided I'm going to show up and I'm going to do whatever it takes because I believe in it. It's that commitment. We step into that purpose, even if we don't know what it is, even if we cannot define it. And I think in some ways, the full journey, when you take that first step, you don't know where it's going to take you, but you know it feels right. You know, deep in your soul, you are aligned with that purpose, with that path that is calling out to you, specifically to you. It, it, it's very beautiful to see how everything aligns, and especially with, with you being, having stepped into your soul purpose, your calling, you having listened to the call of the universe, you are an example of someone who's creating positive change by being in alignment with, with your instructions. I would say I'm charmed by all of this um this information because I just I think it's wonderful all of this information has always been available we've just been kind of sidetracked from it and I think this is how we start to bring spirituality down to earth and how we bring it into the maybe early education where you can help students 
find their place in the world with more ease. Yeah, and it's the meaning that I was seeking, right? The meaning that I sort of said, well, what's the point in mm-hmm. in creating pretty pretty pictures? That, now, I do still think there's a point in having beautiful artwork in your house. But for me, I I really needed that meaning. I really needed to feel like there was something more. And, and ever since the launch of that first deck, when people all over the world have reached out to me and said, this artwork has really touched me or, or, mm-hmm. you know, that I've, I'm on this journey and da, da, da. Um, that for me is, is, is huge. Cause it's, uh, it's making me going, yeah, okay. I'm not just drawing <laughs> pretty pictures. I am actually helping people. I have really enjoyed our conversation today. One final question is what would you say to people that are considering following the path of being spiritual artists? Well, follow your, follow your intuition. You know, don't try and do what someone else is doing, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, and that's very easy in this day and age to go, oh, I must be like so and so. Yeah. Um, fo- follow that inner thread where you, you know, put it out there. Get get to that point where you say like, well, I want to do it, blah, blah, blah. Um, and then start to do the work. If, you, if you're not doing the work right now, such as painting angels, uh, then start, start showing up and saying, well, I'm doing it now and then follow follow that thread I, I think that's the best way to do it really be curious be curious and find your own unique niche it might not be angels it might be stones it might be animals it might be plants we don't know what we're being called to until we start actually showing up and yeah the images come to us they they choose us they choose us to work with them do, do what you love i always say uh, you know whatever makes you go get excited and go woo. I get to do that. That's amazing. You know, I get to draw pictures all day. I always tell people that. That's great. That's what I wanted to do. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for sharing your story and for being part of Born to Do It. Um, Thank you. I hope there was some insights for you that Absolutely. you can apply in your life. Uh, <laughs> I've really enjoyed your insights, but your artwork has really enriched my personal life. And I hope that it reaches more people. And it, it guides them onto their full journey the way that it has guided me so far. 